0: Hey, to Rocket Nation, Saul Marquez here. I want to talk to you about Fullscript. Fullscript is a virtual dispensing platform that lets practitioners dispense professional-grade supplements and improve patient adherence from anywhere. It has the most comprehensive catalog of products and has adherence tools like refill reminders and auto reorder. It even sends medically-reviewed wellness content to your patients. It's simple to use, loaded with features, and integrates with you and your patients' day-to-day lives. For example, when you write a prescription, it's sent directly to patients via text or email. And when they order supplements, they're shipped right to their door. The best part of it all, it's free. So to try Fullscript today, if you're considering adding supplements to your treatment plans, check out their comprehensive guides and best practices on how to do it. Visit fullscript.com rocket. That's fullscript.com slash rocket. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Tony Manuel. Dr. Tony Manuel is a practicing anesthesiologist in Austin, Texas. He's a partner with the United States Anesthesia Partners Central Texas and has been in practice since 2002. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Surgery and Perioperative Care at the Dell Medical School. Dr. Manuel received his undergraduate degree from Vanderbilt, attended the University of Texas Health Science Center for Medical School, completed his residency in anesthesia at the University of North Carolina, where he was recognized as the outstanding resident and a fellow cardiovascular anesthesia at Duke University. In 2017, he received his master's in medical management degree from Carnegie Mellon University, and today he's playing multiple roles uh, as as he has in the, in his career. And today we're going to be talking about physician innovation and in particular how physicians can evolve their career to be greater contributors beyond the point of care. And so I want to thank you, Tony, for joining me today to have this very interesting discussion with you.
1: Hey, Saul, thanks so much. It's great to be on your podcast. And I want to thank you for actually doing this podcast because for a lot of people like myself, it's been a great conduit to learn about what other people are doing and what best practices are out there. And it's an alternative to sort of the journal peer review articles that we have historically read. And I've actually looked up several of the companies that you've had on and engaged with them. I just really appreciate what you're doing.
0: I love it, man. No, that's great. I'm glad to hear that you've done that. That's the intention. And so uh, I appreciate you for doing that. So, you know, we were having a discussion, folks, uh, Tony and I connected and we said, you know what, the role of the physician is changing. And and so what what I want to do today is, is just highlight how that's changing through the life of Dr. Manuel here. And so, you know, I'd love for you, Tony, to, to just kind of walk us through some of the work that you're doing and how it's changed from just practicing to actually doing more, uh, you know, as we engage this large, you know, $3.5 trillion uh, industry
1: that we call healthcare. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey for me. And, uh, you know, I have to credit one of my anesthesia attendings when I was in residency. His name is Dave Mayer. He said, gave me a great piece of advice. He goes, Tony, you have to continually strive to uh, maximize your career. And uh, I say, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you definitely want to start trying to be the best clinician you can be. Once you achieve that, you should really look at, you know, becoming really strong in other areas. And I always took that to heart. And so, you know, I think back to when I first started here in Austin, um, I became the uh, division chief of cardiovascular anesthesia, or actually I should say, I helped create the division of cardiovascular anesthesia because at that time we were uh, basically everybody was doing it. And I felt coming out of my fellowship, this would be really better if we limited the number of people that worked in that space. And, um, you know, put together some protocols and got the team together and we saw some really good outcomes from that work. And I fast forward to what I'm doing today and that work has changed so much, partly because I think every clinician, you have to get educated. And I used sort of rudimentary tools back then. But, you know, after getting that uh, master's degree from uh, Carnegie Mellon, I really developed that toolkit that allows me to take on much more complex uh, problems that we face in healthcare today.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And so you had that entrepreneurial bug from the beginning, right? So you kind of re-retooled the way that you guys approached cardiovascular anesthesia and I'm sure with with much improvements in outcomes, but then you've taken other steps too. You've been involved in startups and now you're, you know, doing different roles. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, you know, I worked my way up of the uh, medical staff leadership and ultimately became the president of the medical staff and while that was a great experience, After I graduated with my master's degree, the entrepreneurial part really was intriguing to me. And more important was the interface between the clinicians and the technology. And so um, the startup is called Dynamic Lights based here in Austin, and it's actually technology out of the University of Texas. And um, they had a great idea concept. Basically, it's um, how to non-invasively map blood flow uh, during cerebral aneurysm surgery. And it uses what's called speckle laser technology. And I was like, oh, this is great. It's continuous. It's non-invasive. But they never really thought about the interaction of how you get it into doctors' hands. How do you test it? And that was sort of my sort of strength. And so I said, well, let's work together and figure this out. And to date, you know, we've incorporated. We're FDA approved. And we're uh, nice. already conducting a clinical trial. And we're looking to partner with a couple of um Larger health tech firms. And that wouldn't have happened, I think, in 2005 when I first started, because I would have had no clue on how to begin to do that. But as I see sort of what the alignment is between technology and physicians, it's becoming clear of sort of the pathway that we should uh, pursue to get those kind of projects up and running because they can benefit so many people. And we just got to ensure that we can make that happen.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think it's great that you took on that role. You guys have FDA approval now, you're doing some clinical trials, you're engaging some of the bigger players to get the distribution behind it. I mean, it's, a, it's some critical steps you guys are taking there. It'll be exciting to see where that goes. And, you know, the, the evolution of today's physician is quickly, quickly changing. And so what are your thoughts about, you know, the stats, you know, because they say one out of every, I guess this year, one out of every thousand physicians will commit suicide and, and satisfaction, you know, and so is what you're doing making a difference for you? Can you, can you give me some of your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, those, those stats are, uh, unfortunate. I actually had a really good friend who, uh, passed away a couple of years ago, um, mm. and by suicide and, um, Sorry. You know, it uh, unfortunately happens all too frequently, what I feel is if you're really engaged in the work and um, you can create a space that makes you happy, then everybody wins, your Mm -hmm. colleagues, your patients, yourself, your family. Um, And for me, I think if I was just doing anesthesia every day, um, it would be fine, but I don't think I would be as enthused as I am every day to come to work and work on the projects that I'm doing. So, you know, we know what makes us happy and what makes us sad and what we would love to fix. And having a way to do that has been really uh, inspiring for me. And so I want to see that happen for other physicians because uh, a lot of guys you will hear say, oh, I don't know how I can change this. And, you know, I think there's a pathway that can do it. And one, I think involves getting more educated about whatever it is that you're passionate about and how you can change it within the hospital system. And then two, Giving yourself the tools to go forward and do that, where you know before good or bad Excel spreadsheets, I've had to become really good at figuring that out. And uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, but it's the way of the world, right? You have right, to right. understand the business of uh, healthcare, and um, if you can do that, then you can communicate with, much clearer with your administration and you know with healthcare companies. It really gives you some great opportunities.
0: And I think that's great. You know, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to learn that you maybe you don't want to, right? And maybe you learn it. And then once you know it, you figure out how to delegate it because you know how it works, right? You get the right person to help in that specific uh, area. As you reflect on how your career has evolved and and other physicians are listening to this, you know, what would you say is is one of those key setbacks that you ran into and, and how that's helped make you an even better contributor and more fulfilled contributor?
1: Yeah, I would say um, one of the it started out successful and then it became a, a failure. But yeah. uh, way back in the day, when I was that CV division chief, I noticed that we had a really uh, hard time getting our cases started on time. First case mm-hmm. on time starts. It was abysmal, like 15, 16%. So, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to fix this problem and uh, did what the equivalent of would now be process mapping, but I did it in a very rudimentary fashion on a, you know, a uh, notepad and then basically physically visit every site that our patient would go in on their way down to the operating room and how we got them into the ORs and work through all the kinks, you know, like, how do we get the case cart set up? How do we get the room ready? What do we need to do to fix this to get the patients up? And in, in, in a matter of three months, we increased the first case on time start to 88%. Nice. It was great. Surgeons were all involved and stuff. So basically, I turned it back over to the, you know, the hospital to run basically, they had given me you know full control of those ORs for that time period. And we regressed right back to where we were before. Hmm. And the failure by me was that I made it in entirely a single-person operation. It was completely dependent on what I, if I was there or not. Oh, okay. And um, so while I was able to accomplish that that one goal, we weren't able to do it for the long haul. And so that lesson made me really sit back and see how, when I take on a new project, how do I get all the people engaged in it? How do I get every identify every stakeholder because um, I didn't even look at the other stakeholders, to be honest with you, when I did that first project. And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend a lot of time up front thinking about all the different scenarios here before we even begin that work. And, um, you know, we've had an incredibly successful project here with um, OR scheduling. And um, you and I talked about it before we started the call and our hospital is a level one trauma center. It uh, has a high uh, acuity surgery Based and it also has a lot of add on surgeries defined as put on a schedule three days or less prior. So um, I always thought, why do we have block time here? We need operatives. Yeah. We just got to get more people on the schedule. And so I paired up with the uh, Macomb School of Business and pitched the project to our then CEO, Craig Cordola. And he was new at the time. So I think I got lucky and he just said, here you go, go for it. <laughs> um, and he effectively funded the project and um, it lasted for about four months. And what our analysis showed is that we really needed to get rid of block time, and we needed to move to open scheduling. So I took the data that the team had put together, and they ran 40 years of simulations for me. We did, we tested multiple algorithms. So I had to go to the surgery council and pitch a lead balloon and say, "Hey, uh, what do you think about take away all your block time?" Um, but they trusted me, and I had, I was armed with a lot of data, and they let me run a one-month pilot, and the pilot absolutely just. Was a success. We, you know, upped our prime time utilization, which is defined how many rooms we have running between the hours of seven and three. We were in the low sixty percent to seventy seven percent in one month. Nice. And then going forward, we've been hovering around seventy seven to eighty percent, and we doubled our case volume uh, with the same number of rooms. And so, which is
0: amazing, right? I mean, it's just like, and it's one of those things where that that you just don't don't think about changing because it's the way that it's been done forever.
1: Right. If you want to anger some surgeons, um, you can tell them you want to take away their block time. It it generates a very visceral reaction from them, but you know, it was a willingness to challenge the norm. And now, uh, they are very happy because they can get on schedule whenever they want. They've been doing more and more cases. And it's actually also made the economic argument for us to expand our ORs because we were using them so efficiently that now we do need to have more ORs. And it's not because, uh, well, so-and-so couldn't get on on a Tuesday morning. It's actual, we're really busy. We need more space. Wow.
0: And there's something to be said, Tony, about having a a physician making some of these changes, you know, instead of a traditional like OR manager that is not necessarily always ever a physician.
1: Uh, Yeah, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, the surgeons definitely uh, bought into it because uh, they've known me for a long time. But you also can bring in that physician perspective. And it's almost like a, a language that you have to speak, you know, for the administrative side says, well, we want to do X. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't pitch it that way you know i would be understanding the doctors want you know this outcome and if you approach it from a different angle i think they'll be more receptive and Mm -hmm. um sort of being that liaison for both sides has been uh, i think really helped me find my niche you know because i've been able to speak to both sides about that and get everybody to come to a common uh goal
0: wow you know it's fascinating and you know you hear of physicians you know eventually running the hospital and And there's an opportunity to do that, of course, but there's other things too, right? I mean, there's the opportunity of of helping optimize operations and and maybe like, you know, as we talk about physician evolution and and wellness, you know, there's also financial wellness where you say, Hey, look, this is where I'm at. I rather than just focus on driving RVUs, why can't I get on this like metrics-based performance that if I help operations and outcomes here there's some extra stuff for me, you know, at the end of it.
1: Yeah, I think, and also I've actually applied that to um, the operating room staff and I'm working with Ascension now to, uh, on a small task force about how we redesign the work that we do in the ORs. And I think incentives are actually a powerful uh, tool. And if you get everybody aligned towards a certain incentive that they feel is meaningful, everybody works really well together to accomplish that goal as a team. And you're right. It's not just about cranking through the RVUs. It's actually, hey, did we get these patients in, in and out safely? Um, yes. Did we get a great outcome? Did we do the work efficiently? And was everybody happy while they were there? And I think the more engaging get the um, associates, the better outcome everybody gets. And for the physicians you know, having a great day in the operating room is really, really fun. And, um, I think part of that is we need to get back to that versus just, you know, on that RVU treadmill is, Hey, I had a great day working with a team. I really helped somebody and, you know, we got this person to a better place.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Tony, you're certainly, uh, you're not on that treadmill you're, (laughs) you're, you know, you're, you're on the stair cycle over there and you're doing weights on the other side and you're seeing it uh, from the outside, but you're also, you know, you do get on and, and you're able to cross pollinate. And it sounds like you're creating some awesome efficiencies. I'm glad you're sharing these with us as, as an example, right. As an inspiration for other physicians listening to this, or maybe you're a physician leader and you want to inspire your team of physicians to do more and, and to think about how they could have fulfillment. Because look, you know, physicians are smart people. Physicians are our critical aspect of, of what we, we need for healthcare to work for all of us. Let's find ways to get creative, to provide that satisfaction. Because honestly, like I think about you, Tony, and it's like you're doing so many amazing things for the health systems and companies that you're working for, you know, and working with, you know, so it's 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 inspiring to hear your story.
1: I appreciate it. You know, I'd love to give you one more example of uh, yeah, some of physicians didn't think about, but um, I was lucky enough this year to uh, get invited to the Consumer Electronics Show.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, they just becoming more and more healthcare focused. Yeah. Oh,
1: very much so. And mm-hmm. um, it was through um, some friends at the uh, AMA's Physician Innovation Network that I was connected with uh, vice president of the uh, CES and she extended an invite to me and I think there was about 15 or 17 physicians there um, and they had a whole day on digital health um, and then we had a curated tour of about I think almost 18 companies that were at CES and it was great for me to see what's out there and you know how advanced some technologies have become and then also seeing how we could use some of those technologies in our operating rooms or in our hospitals. Right. And so um, getting a chance to talk to the developers and just say, tell me, how did you come up with this idea? You know, what is involved in technology wise? And um, it was very, very cool. Um, there were some amazing products there. And I encourage a You know, well, I don't know if CES will happen again in the way it has happened given COVID, but uh, it was an outstanding experience, and I think many doctors would never think about going to CES.
0: Yeah, you know that's so interesting, and I'm glad you brought that up. I have been hearing, like, for the last three years, really, how that meeting, the Consumer Electronic Meeting, has changed in in the focus. Like, there's an entire track on healthcare. So, thanks for bringing that up. I actually was going to to go this year. Ended up not making it, but it's usually in January, right, Tony? Yeah,
1: very early January.
0: Yeah. So as you think about, you know, post-COVID and what you do, and maybe your mind's already shifted to 2021 like mine has, you know, is, is maybe CES. And that is a meeting that I think will inspire you. As I hear it's inspired you, Tony, but others uh, that are seeking for insights in, in health and it's getting out, you know, and getting off of that treadmill to really get that satisfaction and uh, and be part of this this evolution because there is an evolution happening. You know, you're seeing more and more chief medical officers and chief technology officers and also CEOs that are physicians of industry, not just the, the provider organizations and, and the pay organizations. So Tony, I thank you for, for your perspective and encourage all of the listeners to be inspired by your story and take action if it did inspire them. Leave us with the closing thought, Tony, and uh, and the best place where the listeners could reach out to you if they wanted to.
1: Yeah, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Tony Manual, MD, or on uh, Twitter. It's Doctor Tony Manual One. Um, you know, closing thought is sort of what I referred to um, earlier. Become the best doctor you can be, but then keep evolving your career. There are so many opportunities, as you mentioned, um, you know, not only within a hospital system, but for companies or just in the community. Um, you know, just the expertise that we gain as clinicians, I believe is invaluable and really an injustice would be not to share that with other people. And so, you know, step outside of your comfort zone and go to a CES or do something like a TED med um, or, you know, go to a meeting like a health and and go meet other people. You'll meet a ton of people who are Uh, in the industry that you never knew about. And uh, that opportunity to network and meet and really inspire change within your own community, I think is uh, what I would encourage people to do.
0: That's such a great message, Tony. And you know, that's true, right? You'll go to this meeting and and you'll probably be like, what in the world am I doing here? (laughs) You'll be uncomfortable, probably. But then as you start talking to people, it'll be the aha moment, right?
1: Oh, totally. And the meeting I went, I went to health at the end of last year, 2019. Yes. I think of the entire population at the meeting only less than an eight were physicians. Yeah. And to me, that was a little disappointing. I, you know, it's a relatively new meeting, but, um, there should have been so many more doctors there because you could see how passionate non-clinicians are about healthcare and changing it and making it better. And there were so many opportunities to pair up with people working on projects um, and just understanding the entire landscape. It's not just about being in an office or in a hospital.
0: I love it. Tony, this has been great. You know, I, I certainly appreciate your uh, your contagious uh, passion for healthcare outside of the walls of the hospital. And uh, I thank you for having this, this really fun discussion uh, with us today.
1: It's been great, Saul. And, uh, you know, can't thank you enough for uh, doing Outcomes Rocket. Keep up the strong work. Thank you, my friend.